Thank you, Chris. Hey, you were going to run a marathon. Is that is it is it in the past? I had to postpone. Did you? Man, I was going to run that with you too, but man, I'll drive it. You can run it. I'll drive it. Okay. Hey, when was it supposed to be? End of January. Okay. Yeah. Maybe next year. Okay. Man, I was all pumped about doing it with you. That's awesome. God's good, isn't He? Man, God's good. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> if you got your Bibles, um, we're going to go back to the Gospel of John, uh, John chapter 18. So if you want to turn, and we're also going to look at Matthew's account because Matthew records a couple of things that John doesn't. Well, let's go first to Matthew, I mean to John chapter 18. We've been talking about the journey to Golgotha, and obviously we met uh, last week. We, we introduced ourselves to Pilate, and we didn't get all the way through uh, learning about Pilate, and so I wanted to pick back up on... You know, it's interesting that some of uh, the most... And, it's not something you would know unless you go online and, and want to study it. It is interesting, but some of the greatest, <clears throat> well, not the greatest, but I'd say some very significant archaeological finds in the last 20 years have been about Pontius Pilate. Um, and we know Pilate, basically, um, he is the most infamous, other than Judas, but Pilate being a Roman governor who has political and judicial authority over the area of Judea, Jerusalem, and, and the southern part of Israel, basically had Jesus executed. I mean, from a legal standpoint, he's the one that's guilty. And you're going to see that in some of the narrative that we're going to read. Um, but it does tell us that even though he had the authority to let Christ go, he had the earthly authority to let Christ go. But we all know He couldn't let Christ go. Not because of the Jews, but because of the Scriptures. Now, He didn't know the Scriptures. But when the Scriptures were written that Jesus would hang on a tree or to fulfill Isaiah 53 that we read, to fulfill those scriptures, Jesus Christ had to be crucified. That was God's plan. It wasn't Pilate's. But, but historically, when you, when you, if you were to Google who murdered Jesus, a lot of them would respond, Pilate. Pilate was the one that had. But it, historically, and just <clears throat> they, they have found coins, a lot of coins that have been minted or printed in those days, Pilate's image. Um, you know, in the New Testament, Pilate's mentioned, I didn't realize this until I was studying it a little bit, 50 times. Pilate's name shows up 50 times. By the way, I'll tell you something else, because I'll do it now because we may not get there time-wise. <clears throat> Pilate being a governor, Pilate was the governor of Judea, okay? <clears throat> Herod was of Galilee. That's why you keep hearing both their names. Galilee's north, okay? And Judea's southern Israel. <clears throat> Pilate declared that he was a governor, but he was also the judge. He was the primary judge in the empire. So he was he was the Supreme Court himself, basically. He was the the ruling judge. Whatever he said went. Um, 
I'll tell you what, um, before we read John 18, let, let me show you some of the power that he had. Go to Luke's, hold your finger here in, in uh, John 18, and go to, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, go to Luke 13. Go to Luke 13. Uh, you may remember this uh, event as far as reading about it. Show what kind of, it also tells you how vicious he was, but how much power and authority that he had. <clears throat> and also when you read stuff like this, it makes you wonder how in the world, I mean, seriously, how in the world did he let, how in the world did he get in such political position that he let the Jewish people manipulate him into doing what they wanted him to do? When you read, look at, look at Luke chapter 13. It says, there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Uh, <clears throat> it didn't tell us a whole lot about that. You have to read it outside the Bible. But he, a bunch of Galileans were worshiping at the temple and he slaughters them. There's reasons. He slaughters them and then he mingles their blood with the blood of sacrifices. Of course, it tells us, obviously this is early before 70 AD, before the temple was destroyed. Just viciously, he just kills all these people. Look what it says. And there were some, you know, present at the very time and told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them. So they're asking Jesus, you know, why does stuff like this happen? Now, this is God's word. You need to know God's Word. He says, do you think... Because sometimes you want to know. You know, we're, you know, our first thoughts was those Galileans must have been very wicked. Well, that no. That's, look what Jesus says. He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No. And look what's interesting is rather than Jesus as the Son of God, as the Word become flesh, rather than pontificating about the political circumstances, rather than talking about the individual lives that were lost and the families, what does Jesus talk about? Why you and I need to be saved. Look what He says. He says, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 of whom the, the tower in this another event in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you, a tower crumbled and it killed 18 innocent bystanders, so to speak. And so he says, of 18 whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No. But I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So it's, to Christ, it's not about the circumstances as much as it's about your eternal soul. It's, it's not about those petty little... It's about Christ and salvation. So I love what he says there in Luke chapter 13. Let's go back to John 18. And we'll pick up somewhat where we left off last week. I want to pick up in John... Um, 18, and let's pick up at verse uh, 33. John uh, 18, uh, 
So Pilate entered his headquarters again. By the way, this is this is his pray. It's the pray. Several words for it: praetorium, uh, uh, court. This is in the city of Jerusalem. And one reason, just to let you know why he's there, because the judicial the town that was the judicial headquarters for Rome in Israel was not Jerusalem. It was Caesarea, which is a coastal town. Now there's two Caesareas. Caesarea Philippi is inland north. Caesarea is on the coast. So we'll visit there. So Caesarea is normally, but they're in Jerusalem. The governor's in Jerusalem. A lot of extra Roman soldiers are in Jerusalem. Why? Because it's Passover. And tens of thousands, if not Hundreds of thousands of Jews are making the pilgrimage for one of the three required feasts in Jerusalem. So there would be thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And also Pilate was worried about another political situation because he was on the hot seat. So in Passover, it was very common for, for Pilate to be in the city of Jerusalem as well as to have several more Roman soldiers in the city during the course of Passover to take care of any kind of rebellion that might take place. So, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? By the way, do you know how many times I'm, I'm, I chased another rabbit a while ago and forgot to tell you this. Uh, Pilate is going to tell the crowd that Jesus is innocent. This is interesting to me from a, a biblical standpoint. He tells the crowd seven times. Seven times. The judge of Israel. Jerusalem. But think about the hypocrisy. The leading judge, the governor of Jerusalem, of Judea, tells a Jewish crowd who he rules Seven times that Jesus is innocent. Seven times. But yet what does He do? Has Him crucified. But, but Again, this is, this is not inspiration, but it is interesting. It, when people who study numerology, numbers, what do numbers mean in the Bible? You know the number seven. Number of perfection. Fulfillment. Well, I think seven times. So can, you say, can we say this for sure? Jesus was without guilt, right? Right? So, a Roman governor testifies that the Lamb was really without blemish. And that's from an enemy of Israel, saying that there's no guilt in this man. There's no reason for him to go to, to be executed. Jesus answered, uh, he, said, are you called, he said to him, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this or... Or is it on your own accord or did others say it about me? I told you about that last week. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation. And the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? By the way, remember, this is really early in the morning. And Jesus answered, You might do all of us well to memorize these verses and or read them on a regular basis. Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. 
this cosmos. Uh, we get the idea of our word cosmetics comes from the Greek word cosmos. The world has laid down a pattern of how they expect things to go. You know, so the world and the prince of the power of the air, the god of this world, the devil, all that, they've laid down a pattern of life, how they expect things to go. And Jesus says, my kingdom's not based on what this world has set as priorities. My kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. You know, I've always wondered, uh, you know, Peter, when they came to arrest Christ uh, in the garden, uh, Peter is the one that drew a, that wasn't a, a long sword, uh, it was the kind of knife you'd carry in a sheath on your hip. Uh, but he drew that knife, might have been eight, ten, twelve inches long. It wasn't a three foot long sword. And he, you know, he's the one. I've always wondered, you know, the Bible's silent about this, and this isn't why they're here. But I'm wondering, was he the only disciple that carried a knife? You ever wondered about stuff like that? And. And were there other guys that other had their knives? I don't know, but but I know that Peter. The Bible says Peter drew his and and tried to. He wasn't trying to cut the guy's ear off. It wasn't some surgery. He was trying to kill him. It's interesting. And um, so so Jesus says, if if my kingdom was about this world, if I, you know, if I wanted to rule the, this world as it sits right here, my disciples would be fighting that kind of battle. But but. And, and folks, that, that's not our battle either. We're, this world's not, a, we, don't need to, we don't need to be king of this world. We don't need, this is not what we're trying to rule. This is not the kingdom that, that we're, we're concerned about. So then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king for this purpose. And see, this is kind of where we stopped last week. I'll pick up here. You say that I am a king. For this purpose, if you took notes, you'll remember, I, I was born. Remember the word I used there? So right here in this verse, it reminds us about Jesus, and He's reminding us about His humanity. Okay, You say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. His humanity. And for this purpose, I have come. Well, I have come means he's preexistent. I have come. He preexisted. So we have Christ humanity, and then you have Christ deity. Look what he says. You say that I am a king for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. There's reality. If you want to know what life is all about, you have to know the truth about it. And Christ is the truth. That's why I had Robbie read John 14, 6. In the situation there, Jesus said, 
I am. Ego, e, me in the Greek text. Ego, e, me. I am the way. Ego, e, me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But look what it says. So you have humanity, the deity, the reality that he's the truth. But look what it says. Are you looking at your Bibles? Everyone, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So, this is what I wrote down. I'm right here in my Bible. So it's humanity, it's deity, it's reality. But the fourth thing is, Jesus lays down identity. He tells us who His followers are. His followers, He says, everyone who knows the truth follows my voice. Jesus said the same thing in John chapter 10 when he talked about I'm the good shepherd. He says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Jesus says, everyone that's of the truth listens to what I say. So folks, don't kid yourself. People that say that they're a believer, they don't know and they don't care and they don't want to know God's truth, Jesus says they're not a believer. He says everyone that's of the truth listens to my voice. Folks, that's one of the great markers of our faith. So Jesus right here simply, in a crisis moment in His own life, identifies believers. Believers are those that walk in the truth, that know the truth, and are set free by the truth. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Well, there's a philosopher. What is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and he told them, I find no fault, or I, ESV, I find no guilt in him. So there's I think that's the sixth time he says, I find no fault in him. And by the way, um, it's here that uh, John skips a section. So I want you to go, because I need to read this. Go to Matthew 27. So flip back to Matthew chapter 27. And again, by the way, this is history. This is a historical narrative as we're reading. But this is historical narrative that we know to be absolutely the truth. These are the events of Jesus Christ's crucifixion. Uh, I'm in Matthew 27. And about where we were reading between uh, those verses and John, scholars tell us, and of course they figure it out for us, between verses 38 and then into 39 where Pilate says, you have a custom. We have some other events that, 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 are, that happen there, and they're recorded. Luke records it as well, but Matthew, to me, writes some things that nobody else does. So I'm, I'm in Matthew 27. Again, our journey to, about, to Golgotha, talking about Pilate. It says, now Jesus, verse 11, Matthew 27, 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor... And the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You've said it so. But when he was accused by the chief priest and the elders, he gave no answer. 
Then Pilate said, so if you'll remember, Luke records that too, and Matthew does. They kept asking him. And Jesus gave, this is to the Jews, the Jewish leaders, the, the chief priests and the religious Sadducees and, and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. They kept asking Jesus all these things and he gave no answer. He was silent uh, before his persecutors. So uh, then Pilate said to him, do you not, look, look what they say, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at, the, now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And, and they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Uh, just, just interesting play on words. Barabbas, bar, the language of the Bible, bar means son of. Okay, Abba is the word father. This is the son of any father is going to take the place from, of the son of the father. Isn't that interesting? Just looking at the Greek text. So called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. There was no guilt in Jesus. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him. Uh, This is interesting. Have nothing to do with this righteous man. So his wife has a dream, troubling dream about Christ's holiness, and she sends a message to Pilate, her husband, who's going to be making this judgment, and tells him, "Have nothing to do with it." So have this is what she says: "Have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream." Now the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, Let Him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? By the way, right here they don't have an answer. What evil has he done? Did they say anything? No. Think about what in a movement, some kind of pagan movement or immorality, they they don't have good answers, they just scream. So it says, but they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Now here's why I wanted to read Matthew's account. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing politically, again, here's a man that out of anger would slaughter people. And that was historically true. He, uh, there were three uh, historians, one Jewish uh, 
two Europeans that wrote about Pilate, and they all wrote about his brutality and, and how vicious he was. And had, he had no conscience about uh, mistreating people. But now they're manipulating him. And he, he, so, so when Pilate, just these words are weird to have a governor in this situation with all this power. And it says, so when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing. Of course, we know that God ordained from eternity past that this is going to happen. The book of Acts tells us that. But you're looking at it pragmatically from from a political standpoint or just as a human being, just looking at the landscape. How can a governor let a, a group of people who are in submission to him politically and militarily, how can he let them manipulate him? Well, it was, it was kind of a perfect storm for Pilate. Uh, so when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot, that's the key, because he was always getting in political trouble. By the way, he got in trouble for slaughtering those people and mixing the blood, you know, because he desecrated the temple. It was it was a it was a no no. I mean, it just wasn't the right thing to do, and he took heat for that from Caesar. So, so, so when he so, but rather that a riot was beginning. Look what it says: He took water and he washed his hands before the crowd, saying. I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. So he's going to say, I'm going to have, he's saying, I'm having nothing to do with it. Folks, and that scholars talk about, and you read these stories, and and we don't know this to be true, literally, but it, it, it does preach. There's, there's a man in hell today still trying to wash the blood of Christ off his hands. It doesn't work this way. Washing his hands in some water before the Jewish people didn't absolve him from his sin. Look what it says. It says, uh, so he took, he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd saying, you can say whatever you want. I could tell Chris I'm a long-distance runner. That doesn't make it so, does it? I can say anything. I am innocent of this man's blood. Is that true? Let me ask you something. If these political events had never happened, would any of us be innocent of the blood? None of us. Now I'm talking spiritually, right? We're all guilty of the blood. I know that when we sing some of those songs, it talks about in Christ alone. You know, we talk about He bore my punishment and my shame just as much as He did yours. I was just as guilty as Pilate. I'm just as guilty as the Roman soldiers. That's what Isaiah says. He was punished for my iniquities. The chastisement of everybody who's ever been saved was laid on him. He bore it. And which some people take out of context, by his stripes we're healed. It's not talking about physical healing. It's talking about spiritual healing. He was punished for us. So Pilate says, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. 
And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then He released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, He delivered Him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And because it's after he's been scourged, okay, he's a bloody mess. And kneeling down, Before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him, and they took the reed they had, and they struck him in the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, that purple robe, and they put on his clothes clothes back on him, and and they led him away to to be crucified. Now, I just wanted to read that. Go back to John chapter 18. I'm back in John 8, I'm in John 19. Let me read a couple more verses and I'll make a couple of points. We, we don't have but a couple of minutes. John chapter, let's go to 19 verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, scourged him. Um, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said to them, now you, You're wondering, why did Pilate do this? I mean, you, I mean, all this is the plan of God. Jesus is sacrificed. He's a sacrifice. Man did not take his life. Well, you understand that. It's perf- very important. This is all God's plan. But just looking at it pragmatically, what was Pilate hoping to do by having Jesus scourged, whipped, mistreated, and then he presented him again in front of the people? What's, what's Pilate really trying to do? Get Jesus off. That's what he's trying to do. He, he knows Jesus is innocent. And underneath that, that, that depravity... And underneath my depravity and your depravity, in there is still a judge. And seven times he's going to mention that he's not guilty. So he keeps trying to get him off. That's why he's doing it. But ultimately, let me, let me just jump a long way and say, what was Pilate scared of? Of course, yes, he, he was intimidated a little bit by the, the Sanhedrin and all that. But it, it was the people. Was the people historically? If you read about him, scholars say that if there had been one more huge uprising by the Jews, they believe Pilate would have been removed from his position or would have been executed. So he he has a, a heavy load politically sitting on him. So he's got to do whatever he can to squish. The uprising. So you can imagine on that preparation day as 
as it's becoming daylight now and word spreading through the city that this Jewish teacher, rabbi, etc., etc., miracle workers being prosecuted by, by Rome, you can imagine the, the number of people that show up and you know, start shouting, crucify him, crucify him. So Pilate was scared of, the, of just the, the people that were going to rebel. And I'll tell you something else. You know, well, let's just think, okay? This is, again, it's God's sovereign plan that Christ is going to die. I mean, we, we, he's prophesied. Uh, the high priest makes a statement. He didn't know what he's talking about from prophetically, but he's right. One man has to die. But in, in a few days, in 40 days, 50 days after this event, the same Jews are going to stone Stephen with, with Paul's affirmation. Remember, they, Stephen being the first uh, martyr of the New Testament. You with me? They do stone Stephen. Not long after this, why didn't they do that? Why didn't the Jews do what? Because remember, three times Pilate says, you take him, you take him, and do whatever your law says. Well, there's two reasons they couldn't. Number one, for the Jews, it was against the law to crucify. How would they kill people? And it wasn't the Jews that said this. How did Jesus say He was going to die? He'd be lifted up. So, God was in control of this, so the Jews couldn't execute. But there's another reason why the Jews wouldn't do it. Because remember back on Palm Sunday, when we get there? You know, we're on Good Friday. Five days ago was Palm Sunday. Remember what the crowd did when Jesus came in? See, the Jews, the Jews, these Sanhedrin, high priests. All... Pilate was scared of the crowd. But the religious leaders were scared of the crowd. They didn't want to be the ones to put Jesus to death. They wanted Rome to be responsible for putting him to death because the Jews couldn't do anything about it. So they were fearful, political fear, fear of people. So that's why, because it's interesting that when you study all this, in a couple of months, maybe six months down the road, however long it was, Stephen is stoned. And they do it erratically and they do it quickly. They kill him. Because of his message when he preaches. Well, we're out of time. Let me, let me just, I wrote, I wrote down, I have to have my points. So let me give you my points. We're, we're over time, but you can have. I want you to think about Pilate real quick. Number one, this is stuff I wrote down. You, worldly aspirations versus convictions. Now think about that. Worldly aspirations versus convictions. He was a murderer. He did have judicial murder on his hands, and he can't wash it off, all because of his desire to be popular among the people. So, I, when I was reading, I was thinking about worldly aspirations versus our convictions. Now, think about us believers how often our worldly aspirations purge our convictions. You know, a lot of times our, uh, our faith is academic. You know, 
we believe it in a classroom, talking to our parents, talking to friends in Sunday school, fellowship, church, we believe it. But when the rubber meets the road, and it's face to face, and the world is there, well, you know, from reading the text, knowing it's God's plan, but we can still read it and see that Pilate's aspirations absolutely silenced his convictions. And I'm telling you, for many of us in this room, as even as believers, our aspirations silence our convictions. Number two, several times in Luke's Gospel, when Luke records this, Pilate keeps telling Jesus, do you not know? He says this and John records it too. He says, do you not know that I have power? This is what he tells him. Because Jesus won't answer him. He says, don't you know that I have power to convict you or to release you? That's what he tells Jesus. Is that true? No. No. Jesus tells him that. You don't have any kind of power except it's been given you by God. But honestly, when Pilate says that, he didn't have the power. I mean, on paper he did, but he didn't. So I think about how many times we present ourselves as being in a position of comfort and power and maturity, but in actuality, what we present to people is far different than what we are on the inside. And that's exactly, uh, that's exactly who Pilate was. What he said on the outside was not near what he could produce because of what was on the inside. He wasn't going to let Jesus go, though he could say he had power to do it. When I read the narrative, all four Gospels, I wrote down another thing. I talked about unrestrained depravity. When you keep reading this, you just see how wicked and depraved man can be when, the, when you think about there had to be hundreds of people who watched this happen who either had been healed or had had a relative healed by Jesus. Think about that. Because in, in Judea, uh, well, really in Galilee too, they, his historians talk about how disease and sickness would be eradicated when Christ was present. And, and you have all these people that had been touched by the Master, but yet were absolutely barbaric when it came to His execution. Let's, let me, I could go on. Let, let me, let, take your Bibles. Let me close with this. This is, go to Luke chapter 22. This is, this is one of those verses that you can, uh, that kind of helps set a biblical worldview about the cross of Christ. Uh, looking at it from the big picture, Luke chapter 22. Let's stand together and we'll close with this. Stand with me. Luke 22. This is a... 
this is when P Peter cut off the guy's ear. I'm in, I'm in Luke 22, and uh, let me just pick up at verse 47, and, and this, will be our, this will serve as our benediction. It says, While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and, and, a man, and the man Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priest and the officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords, with clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. Now look what Jesus says. But this is your hour. And the power of darkness. Do you know why Christ was arrested? Brutally treated. Crucified. Buried and resurrected. Do you know why that happened? It's not because of Pilate. It's because it was God's plan. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the substitutionary death of Christ. Father, thank You that it's somehow, some way in Your spiritual economy You considered me guilty yet punished Jesus. And everybody who's ever been saved their sins were punished through what happened to Christ 2,000 years ago. Father, thank You for redemption, for propitiation, that, that Christ bore our guilt and our punishment so that we would set, be set free from the guilt of sin and death. Father, thank You for the journey to Golgotha. Father, thank You that the story does not end there. It really just begins. Bless Your church now as we go from being gathered to being scattered. In Jesus' name, Amen.